Let's go tonight back to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. Ecclesiastes 5. And we are going to continue looking at what Solomon says uh, we need to live a meaningful life. I lost my remote, my clicker. Is it back there, Jonathan, by any chance? Okay, that means I put it down somewhere, probably in my office, and it's gone. So, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and of course Solomon throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is uh, looking at um, how do we find meaning and purpose in the life that we live here, because uh, there isn't. Uh, anything under the sun, as we've seen so far, that offers us lasting meaning and per- <laughs> Thank you. Don found it. All right. Give it up for Don. My wife found it. Thank you. I have control again. Okay. Um, and tonight, as we get to uh, this point of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see here uh, some hints of the greater theme that Solomon is driving towards, Right? When he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And um, tonight this has to do with uh, worshiping the Lord and uh, coming before him in an appropriate way in our lives and in our hearts. And so we're going to talk tonight about the fear of the Lord that Solomon talks about here in Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 through 7 where he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow and that you should vow and not pay. Let your, not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. In a world where everything seems meaningless and Every shred of purpose and control seems to slip away, and and that's exactly what um, Solomon has has started to show us um, through through these works here, through the things that he's written here. Um, Many people will turn to religion. It, It is in religion that people hope to find a deeper connection with something bigger than themselves. Sometimes, you know, enabling them to live meaningful fulfilling lives. Some people, in looking for religion, even turn to what looks like and seems like Christianity. But even here, there are wolves among the sheep. There are those uh, professing to give the truth of God and his word, but have once again turned the gospel into nothing more than that which we hope will give us meaning. I came across, in my studies this week, uh, a quote from a famous pastor's wife. And I wanted to share it with you. This is a quote. This is a, an actual quote. I, I listened to it online. 
um, that, that this pastor's wife declared from the platform of their church in what they build as a worship service. This is what she said. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we are not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Okay, if that doesn't make your skin crawl, I don't know what will, right? I mean, that's just loaded with all sorts of what is this, right? This is not the definition of godly worship and godly living. If you think that is, then we should talk, okay? In fact, this is the furthest thing from it. Yet, I will tell you that the church, from where that was given, people flock to that church. Why? Because what they're selling is consumerist Christianity. They are man-centered and not God-centered in their philosophy of worship. They are seeking to salve the consciences of people who just want some shred of meaning in their lives. And they're not doing anybody any favors because they're not giving to the truth of God. And it's easy to throw stones here, right? I mean, we just, we just read something. It's like, you know, that's complete bunk, right? I mean, we can all day. But we in our own lives fall into similar traps. We fail to give God the proper honor and devotion that he is due in our lives. We fail to fear the Lord. And when we do, our worship is meaningless, just like everything else Solomon has shown us, and it will fail to give us the fulfillment we are seeking under the sun. That's what Solomon talks about in this passage. That if we, if we treat worship just as, what, as, as, as something that we think is going to give us meaning, or if we treat it as a way of, of trying to get what we want from God, again, we're going to find meaninglessness. We're going to find hevel, vanity. Solomon shows us here that religion isn't about us using God for what we want. But true religion, which is lived out belief, is our response to God for who he is and what he's done. A relationship with God transforms us from the inside out, resulting in right worship as we live in and for him. So we see here that worship offered to the Lord without proper reverence from a heart that practices a biblical fear of the Lord is meaningless. If we do not worship God in the way God intended, or if we try to twist the worship of God to serve our own means and ends, or we completely remove ourselves from the worship of God in the right way, it's not going to give us meaning either. And churches all across this nation and all over the world, whether they claim to be biblically preaching or not, whether they are just you know, a church of some other religion, they claim to offer, okay, you do this and you'll find meaning. You do this and you'll, you'll find some purpose. You do this and you'll feel this or you'll do that or this is what you'll experience. But anything that does not line up with coming to before the Lord and the fear of the Lord as he has laid out for us in scripture, it's heaven. And that's what Solomon shows us here. Because you'd think, like, looking all the crown, right, and everything he said, under the sun, okay, 
Now let's go to the temple. This is where meaning is. But Solomon says, even there, there's meaninglessness if it's not practiced the right way. And again, I'm speaking in the Old Testament context of the temple because that's what Solomon is speaking in. Now today, we don't go and worship at the temple, but you'll, we'll see there is a great application to our lives as we worship the Lord today as well. So what does Solomon warn us to do? Two things, really two major things we, hear, we see here that Solomon speaks to us about. Number one, Solomon tells us to honor the Lord in our worship. And in order to do that, there must be a purposeful approach before the Lord. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Solomon has said, there is nothing but hebel to be found in living life solely under the sun. And so now he turns to the worship of God. And he reminds us that approaching God is serious business. Uh, We have access to the throne of grace by Jesus Christ. But we still do not stroll into the presence of God irreverently. We enter with reverence and the fear of the Lord. Solomon cautions those who would worship God against dishonoring the Lord in their approach. And I would remind you again that when he says here in verse 1, the house of God, he is speaking of the temple where people would go to worship in God's presence. Now, God is not limited to a place. Solomon, in his dedication of the temple, enunciated that in his prayer, that this place cannot contain him. Even the highest heavens cannot contain God. However, in the Old Testament, the temple is where his presence was manifested for his people to come and worship him. That was his prescribed place. Some may come to worship God there out of insincere motives, hoping to find some blessing on their doings by doing things through some ritual. Solomon warns that approaching God's presence is something we must do with the right motives and actions. So therefore, he says this, when you enter the house of God, guard your steps. What does that mean? Well, it communicates the idea of being prepared when you come into the house of God. One should come into God's presence prepared, into God's house, prepared to do what? Prepared to meet the Lord, to honor and obey him. When the people came to the temple to offer their sacrifices, they were to come with hearts that were prepared to worship the Lord, prepared to obey him. There should be a readiness to follow the Lord in the heart of every true worshiper. What is God looking for? He is looking for obedient and willing hearts, not just lip service. He's not looking for you to go through the right actions. He's looking for you to actually be open to really obeying and following him. That's going to lead to right actions, by the way. Even the offering of sacrifices does not cover the need to be truly obedient to God. It is possible to offer God sacrifices that he has prescribed but still be dishonoring to him. We need to draw near to God, Solomon says, and listen to what he says so that we can offer him the worship he commands. He says here, it's better to listen. To listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. We've mentioned fools. We mentioned them, I believe, last week. We mentioned them throughout the writings of Solomon. And the fool gives no thought or consideration to his actions. 
he, he rushes in, coming in to fulfill an obligation, right? This is what God said to offer. I'm here to offer it. I'm just going to do what God said. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is, I'm supposed to be here to get some kind of meaning in what I want. They don't prepare their hearts to worship. And so, therefore, they do evil before the Lord. I mean, he says that at the end of verse 1. They do not know that they are doing evil. And it's an interesting thing that here they are offering sacrifices, but they're doing evil. Because in their minds, that's not even possible because I'm here offering sacrifices. I'm doing what God wants, right? They rush in, though. They go through the motions. I was reminded, as I studied this passage this week and looking at this verse of King Saul, the king Israel wanted, right? The king Israel demanded. We want a king like everybody else, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And King Saul learned this lesson the hard way. Without giving you the entire story, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God gave a direct command through Samuel to Saul to go and kill the Amalekites and all of their livestock. Everything they had, everything that they were, because of their disobedience and their, their, um, their, their aggression towards God's people. Instead, Saul disobeyed the Lord, and he saved the best of everything he found. And when Samuel came, Saul declared that, he, you know, I've obeyed the Lord. I've done what, what your God told me to do. Listen, <laughs> there's sometimes... I think um, you can't beat the King James, right? The, the King James says, Samuel looked at Saul and said, what meaneth this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, right? That's just a quote that I will never forget, right? He says, really? Because I hear the sheep. You said, you got rid of everything. Samuel calls him out on it. And then this is what Samuel and happened, what happens between Saul and Samuel. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have bought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Stop. So now Saul's pushing it off on other people, right? This is what the people did. But we had a good reason. We're going to offer it to who? To God. That's okay, right? I mean, we're going to do all these actions. God likes sacrifices. God loves worship. God wants us to do this. Keep going. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Strong words. Sacrifices and offerings, Samuel says, from a disobedient heart are meaningless. Did God want his people to obey and offer sacrifices? Yeah, that was part of the covenant, right? But ultimately, as they were doing that, God wanted their hearts to be devoted to him. To follow him. These disobe- the actions from a disobedient heart are foolish 
They fly in the face of true worship. They profess devotion to God, but that devotion is hollow and fake. And if you think you will fool God by putting on a show, you are gravely mistaken. Today, we do not gather at the temple to offer sacrifices. That's no longer part of God's worship, prescribed worship. Because Jesus fulfilled those sacrifices. When Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, he was talking about himself. You realize that when Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross, he he didn't just say, well, everything God said is meaningless. You don't have to do it. He said, no, I, I fulfilled that. Therefore, you don't need to do it anymore. And so we don't do that anymore because Jesus fulfilled that. But we still offer sacrifices, the sacrifices of our lives, our hearts to God. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We gather with believers to worship God. We ourselves are the temple of God and dwelt by the Holy Spirit Living a life, then, of disobedience to God is a disgrace for a believer. We are still called to live in the fear of the Lord. We are still called to draw near to the Lord and listen to him. We are called to enter his presence with a heart that is ready to obey. So when you come to this place, when you come to the house of God, to church, do you come ready to obey the Lord? Because when you come here, as it's been expressed in our morning service, you come to hear the word of God. So do we come to obey the word of God? When you open the word of God and read it for yourself, which I hope you do, do you come before the word of God that you may obey it? Or just to say, well, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. We should instead ask God to convict us of sin and yield ourselves to him. And if we don't do these things, if we don't come to the church submitting ourselves to God, if we don't open the word of God to read it, that God would speak to us and convict us of sin, that we may obey it, what are we acting like? We're acting like the fool who wants nothing to do with God. Our approach to the things of God must be purposeful. We must be purposeful in our approach and our worship of him. That purpose is obedience. So therefore, Solomon continues, and he says that we need to be purposeful in our prayers as well. In verses 2 and 3, he says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness, business, and a fool's voice with many words. One of the ways that we offer worship to God, as we spoke about this morning, is prayer. That was true in Solomon's day, and it's true in our day as well. We should not, Solomon says, then be rash or hasty with our words. And the context here is worship of God, so it's words in prayer, whether they're spoken or thought in our minds. God is pictured here. He says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. He's pictured as the sovereign judge presiding over everything. And we are here, limited on, in our uh, place on earth. So we need to address such a sovereign with restraint 
and respect. Solomon says what we don't do then is we don't just pile up words aimlessly looking to impress God or others, but instead give careful consideration to what we say. We need to be purposeful in the way we pray to God. Right worship of God takes intentionality. Right prayers are worship, and so therefore right prayers need to be intentional. Our words should be sincere and meaningful. Just because you said a lot doesn't mean you actually said anything. Right? You, never, you ever know anybody, they say a lot, but they don't really ever say anything? It's just words. Just words after words after words after words. Okay, now, you ever know anybody that prays that way? Don't, don't look around. Okay. It's just like there are all these words and all of this seemingly something substance, but if you boil it all down, there's just nothing there, right? It's just like, I don't even know what they said, right? And just because we have a lot to say doesn't mean we said anything. We've probably been guilty of that ourselves, right? Probably been exposed to that in our lives. The temptation when we pray is to just pile up all this flowery language sometimes, right? And there's nothing wrong with using big words, okay? There's nothing wrong with expressing ourselves in, in language that God has given to us. But we don't do that to put on a show or to impress God or other people. There are still, there are people on the other side of the spectrum who say, well, the only way to really get God's attention is just be real casual and informal. And, and they almost make this big show of not being formal in the way they pray. Solomon's point is here, it's not about a show, it's about being sincere and talking to God. It's about being purposeful in our prayers. Looking good or looking the right or looking right is not what prayer is about. It's about communicating with God. So, once again, God, he is not, God is not concerned with as much as what is said as much as the heart behind it. Now, again, we should be purposeful in the things that we say, but it begins with our hearts. Verse 3 then presents us with a very picturesque illustration. He says, dreams come, a dream comes with much business. Um, What he's saying here is, those who dream dreams usually are sleeping hard because there's much going on to fuel those dreams, right? You ever gone outside and worked really hard all day and you just collapse in bed? I have days where I just come home, and that's, it's like it worked hard all day. I usually call those days Sunday, okay? And I just, you know, you sit on the couch, and you just kind of like, like, do like that, right? And you go to sleep, and you're like, man, that was really great, because I worked really hard. I slept really well, right? And, and maybe those are the nights that you, again, in Solomon's description, you dream, there are dreams, right? That comes because you worked really hard. There are others, you know, they may be full of anxiety and worry, and, and their lives are, fueling an unpleasant experience in dreams and sleep. There's still something going on, right? Our sleep is affected by our daily activities. So what Solomon is saying is this, just as surely as dreams come upon those in in whose lives is much activity, many words come out of the mouths of fools. That's what the end of verse 3 tells us. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Do I know how to spot a fool? Just running all the time, right? 
Just words, 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 words. Fools don't hold back. They have a lot to say. And even in prayer, they exhibit their foolishness. They say nothing meaningful in prayer. They just fill the void. And they think they're spiritual. They don't evaluate, though, what's said. Much more is said with fewer words and a sincere heart than a disobedient heart and endless words. The folly of fools, though, is is made plain. That is the truth of foolishness. It cannot be hidden forever. It comes out. So when we approach the Lord in prayer, we need to do so with great care and thought. We can talk to God at any place, at any time. We talked about that this morning. But we also need to do that with the proper heart attitude. That is how we honor the Lord with our worship. Because if we don't, it's meaningless. It's evil. It's heaven. So Solomon continues now in the last section of this passage, and he tells us to honor the Lord with integrity in verses 4 through 7. In verses 4 through 6, here are the expectations of integrity. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? So Solomon turns to another part of worship, especially here from his day, and it addresses our integrity before the Lord. Now, as you read the law of God, okay, how many of you have read Genesis through Deuteronomy? You've made it through there. Okay, how many of you got bogged down in Leviticus along the way? Okay. Um, as you read the law of God, you're going to come across vows. One of the things you need to understand is God did not require people to make vows. These were an optional part of worship to God that people could engage in. He provided opportunities for particular types of vows to be made should people feel led to express their devotion in such a way. Now, at times, these vows were made to God in exchange for his answering of a need or request. Can you think of a time in the Bible when someone made a vow to God seeking him to answer their need or request? Yeah, Hannah, who came before the Lord because she wanted a child, and she vowed that what? She would bring the child back to the temple, right, to serve the Lord. And if you're familiar with the book of 1 Samuel, she made good on that vow, right? She she, the Lord blessed her with a child, Samuel, and when he was old enough, she brought him and left him there to serve the Lord. She fulfilled her vow. God blessed her, God answered her prayer, and she kept that promise to God. But God's character, Solomon says, requires that those who make such vows are to consider carefully these decisions and these promises they are making. Vows are not to be made with rash, foolish, and dishonest intentions. Solomon says those who do not pay their vows or who delay in doing so are considered fools. God takes sin seriously. He says here that God has no pleasure in fools. They experience the judgment of God. Here's what we learn from Scripture. 
Those who, in whom God takes no pleasure experience his judgment and wrath. They endure his wrath. Those who do not live with the integrity of the Lord are such a ones. So what does Solomon say? Well, it is better to not vow to the Lord at all than to make a vow and not pay. Because that's just lying to God. It's saying, here is what I will do, God, in praise and thanks to you, if you will do this or for this or for that. And then cheapening who he is by not following through. Further, one can seek to delay a vow hoping to get out of it. In verse 6, you read here about this this word, you see the word messenger here in verse 6. In Verse 6 here, the word messenger, is, is a, it's a word that's used for different things, a lot of times angel in the, in the Bible, but it can also carry the meaning of, of priest, someone who's a messenger from the Lord, and that's probably the context here of what we're talking, that's what Solomon is talking about. The priest would be responsible to collect on the vow that God made. If, again, if you'll remember my illustration I gave you in Hannah, who is the one who came and talked to her about the vow she was making? It was Eli, who was the the priest, and he warned her, he cautioned her about these, he talked to her about these things, right? So here's the priest coming to collect on the vow that was made to the Lord by the worshiper, and when the time has come, there's an excuse here. Lies were told when the vow is made, and the lie is told here. It was a mistake, is the reason given for not fulfilling one's vow. In reality, the vow was never intended to be carried out. It was made in a moment of haste, in order to find something or to find some meaning or gain. And again, we don't typically think in this way because of the Old Testament law being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but there is a parallel to the way our lives work today. People today make similar statements. They are not interested in serving and worshiping the Lord what are they interested in? They are interested in God doing what they, want him, what they want him to do. So, they want to benefit from God. And so really, in a way, they're trying to bribe God. God, if you'll do this, if you'll answer this, then I'll serve you. If you do this, I'll do this for you. If you do this for me, I'll give you this. And in reality, it's just trying to find a way to make God serve my needs and my benefits and my wants, really my wants and my, my desires. There's no intention of, of keeping that. Many a person has made a bargain with God only to go back on what was said in that tight spot of their lives. And again, you know, perhaps we live this way sometimes. So, well, I mean, I would... I would never, I'd never do that. Okay, let me really phrase it this way. You've been praying for whatever, fill in the blank. And you really want God to answer the prayer. You think, well, I better read my Bible, and I better go to church, I better say nice things, and I better not yell at my kids, and I better obey my parents, or I better, because then maybe God will, he'll answer my prayer request. And then when it happens, you just go back to the way you're living anyway. I would argue that you just violated what Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, right? Because we think, well, I'm going to get what I want, so I need to do all the good things, right? 
It's almost like we're saying, here's a little taste, God, of me actually living the way you want me to live so that you'll give me what I want, and then we walk away from it. God cannot be manipulated, right? We as human beings are susceptible to manipulation, even if the manipulation is cute, right? You know, you're, you got these cookies out, and uh, your daughter really wants a cookie, And if she walked in the kitchen and said, can I have a cookie, you'd say, no. But if she walks in the kitchen and she says something like, you know, someone better taste test those cookies so that nobody gets poisoned. You might say, yeah, have a cookie, I want one too, right? And and in that instance, right, it's kind of harmless. Please tell me it's harmless because I feel convicted, okay? It's, uh, no, it's, it's like, okay, you know, that's... But we're susceptible to that, right? And so sometimes we think we can do that to God. You know, God, I really think this is what I need and this is what I want. So if you would just do this, then I'll do this. Solomon says it's better to refrain from hasty words. In Solomon's day, it's better to avoid the vows God allowed for in his law altogether. Better to be... May we say it this way, you know, better to be an average worshiper or admit to a cold heart than to feign some deeper devotion to the Lord. In our day, it's better to be honest about yourself before the Lord than to put on a show. You can't talk your way out of dishonesty. God sees and judges sin. And dishonesty will have its end, and that's what we see at the end of this passage. We see dishonesty's end. He says, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Dishonesty before a holy God can only have one end, judgment. He's holy and just, right? God is a God of truth. And though one may think they will bring God's benefits into his life by making a rash vow to the Lord, he will find out there's a very different truth. Instead, he will experience the judgment of God in his life. For a time, God may show grace and mercy, right? God does not always judge immediately. One day, God will collect. He will destroy the work of the hands of such a dishonest one. God always balances the scales. We may think words are cheap and careless, but God doesn't think so. God puts great value on his word, and he expects his followers to do the same, to put great value on his word and the word that we say. We reflect the integrity of God, then, by upholding our word as well. And if we don't, we're just piling up words. So Solomon says in verse 7 that it's a dream to think we can substitute a real heart of integrity and obedience with an abundance of meaningless words. He says it's hevel, it's vanity. Empty words are not going to bring you what you truly want. There's no meaning in this. You can't just pile up all the good things, all the good sayings, all the good attitudes, all the good actions, and expect, well, that'll just bring me some meaning somehow because with a detached heart from truly wanting to serve God. Solomon says there is really only one true end of this. And it's at the end of verse 7. God is the one you must fear. 
The end of all such behavior is the fear of the Lord. If we properly reverence him, we will properly obey him. The fear of the Lord results in obedience. This means living for the honor and glory of the Lord in obedience to him. It's the only way to find meaning is once again presented. Fear God and keep his commandments. Worship the Lord with an obedient heart. Pray to the Lord from an obedient heart. Make true promises to the Lord and keep them in obedient worship. Be purposeful in our worship, intentionally serving the Lord with our lives in reverent obedience. This is the way of meaning. God alone provides meaning to our lives. Therefore, we must live in light of this truth. Let us fear the Lord and live that out every day of our lives. Worship, offer to the Lord without proper Reverence from a heart that practices the biblical fear of the Lord is meaningless. Solomon is driving Ecclesiastes to that end. Fear God and keep his commandments. So here, amid his observations on the vanity of this temporal life, he shines this theme that fits within the whole context of the book. Failing to fear the Lord as he had commanded results in carelessness towards the things of God, which results in meaninglessness. The unbeliever, right, someone who does not know God at all, is ever careless toward the things of God. He seeks meaning only in the here and now, but his refusal to acknowledge and submit to the Lord leads to a futile pursuit of meaning. God has set it up this way. That apart from God, there is no meaning. You can't find it. You can fill your heart with anything you want, but you'll never find meaning apart from God. Now, There are moments of grace, of God's grace experienced in the life of every unbeliever, whether they acknowledge it or not. But these moments have no impact on the life of someone who is consumed solely with themselves. As believers, we can fall into the trap of of carelessness in worship as well. Solomon observed in his day so many people, I mean, you could almost... See the picture of Solomon watching the people go into the worship of the temple, right? Because he built this beautiful place for them to come and worship God. You can almost see him observing all these people going in there, and many of them, or some of them, we don't really know, are worshiping God with insincere hearts. We're called to worship God with our lives. We are to live in a way that honors him. We are to take intentional actions and then, with our lives, exalt him. We're to spend time in his word and in prayer. We're to build connections and relationships to share the gospel. We're to disciple believers. We gather with other believers to worship in church and more. And when we do these things, we must be intentional not to go through the motions of life or speak nice words or fillers. It'll do us no good to put on some type of spiritual show. We need to give God our best and seek to genuinely reflect Christ more each day as we grow and change in him. God is the ultimate judge of all things from inside out. He knows us better than we know ourselves. If we wish to live meaningful lives, let us then commit to seeking him, prioritizing right intentional worship of him. It is only through a proper relationship with God that we can rightly enjoy his wonderful gifts to us and find great fulfillment. So once again, The theme of living a meaningful life shines through even as Solomon pictures the worship that we, that followers of God are to give to God. 
meaningful, a meaningful life and meaningful worship is found in focusing on God and worshiping him the way he calls us to. And then we can enjoy and find fulfillment here in this life by following him. Father, thank you for the day you've given us and the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for watching over us and protecting us to bring us back here tonight. We ask that you would use your word in our hearts, that you would speak to us even as we leave this place tonight. You would continue to do your work in a mighty way. And Lord, I, I ask that you would help us to be intentional in the way we worship you. You would help us to be honest. Or better is it to admit that our hearts have grown cold than to try to stir up some lukewarmness that has no pleasure, you have no pleasure in. Help us to seek you that you would that you would help us to, to grow in our worship of you and that you would give us the purpose and meaning that maybe we have walked away from. You would draw us close to yourself once again. We ask as we close this service tonight we give you the honor and the glory for all you say and, we say and do your name we pray.